Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And I'm John. <laughs> and John is our guest this week. And we're going to do more mainframe-related topic this time than, than just mainframe, because John is, uh, he runs the High Availability Center of Competence, and so he has a lot of experience around... Um, keeping systems up and keeping data centers up more than just systems. And we thought it'd be really good to have him come talk about that. So uh, when you kind of do these things, you, you must have a starting point. Do you start with problems that they're having or do you just say, you know, let's look at everything you do? Yeah, Frank, great question. So uh, my team is contacted, unfortunately, a lot of times after a client has had a failure, an outage of some sort. Uh, so we're, you know, connected at the hip to the uh, client care centers, um, mainly Z, but also power and storage. Uh, and we are called in after clients have had a failure, and it's been a business impacting failure. We'd like to do proactive work, uh, but unfortunately we're called uh, many of the times, 95% of the time, for reactive. Yeah, and that's a really important point uh, because people don't think they have – a problem. Nobody ever thinks they have a problem. It isn't until something pops up that they go, hmm, maybe we didn't do things the way we should have. Sure. And, and what happens and what we find is there's some common themes we found. Clients rely on the reliability of the product. So they're sold the product as a reliable product, and it is true. It's, you know, the, the uh, KEX have N plus one power, et cetera, you know, multiple books, uh, but they fail. And when they fail, they cause business impact because a client is not configured for high availability. They haven't built their systems with data sharing sysplexes, et cetera. So that's a that's a good probably starting point um, because people are relying maybe a little bit too much on the promise that th- these things never go down or, or rarely go down and all the redundancy built in. Right. The the key is not just, hey, we need machines that don't go down or software that doesn't break. We need to do more than that. Right. What again, where where do you start then? I mean, they, we start with, OK, here's the failure. And um, who, do you do you start by whose fault it is or. Sure. Well, we don't like to place blame, but certainly uh, we have a collaborative workshop methodology where we ask uh, the client's best and brightest to get in the room with IBM's best and brightest. So we bring a core set of uh, high availability center of competency folks with us. That's my team. And then we bring subject matter experts from the lab, whether they be lab services, development, pet test, test environments, whatever. We get everybody in a room. We start to look at the infrastructure that supports the key business applications. So if it's a bank, online banking perhaps, uh, we start to pull that apart. Now we do once in a while look at the root cause of the component failure, but you know we allow client care office to do that. So if a book failed, a power supply failed, certainly there's a root cause of that. What we want to get to is the root cause of the business impacting failure. Hmm. Two root causes. So why did this happen? And a lot of times we see that it happens because of process failures. Somebody in the shop did something, changed something, changed the script, right? Did change. And now as a result of change, we have an issue. But what we like to point out to clients is you need to build an infrastructure to support the key business application and have it run anywhere, right? So if you lose a component, you're still able to run. I mean, it sounds basic, 
but and we and clients think they've got these infrastructures, but when we go look, we find single points of failure, uh, we find non-exploitation of HA functionality, etc. Is it is it primarily because um, software has been uh, misconfigured, or is it just we didn't we never thought that that was going to be a problem? I think it's we never thought that that was going to be a problem. They think they're good to go. Um, and we find out that due to uh, the business pressures, they don't have a lot of time to do maintenance. They've reduced people resources. Uh, they don't have the same number of folks supporting the environments as they used to. Thus, maintenance isn't getting on. Things are getting pushed out, especially if they don't have the ability to mask planned outages. So these things go to the wayside, right? So we don't have the ability to put our hypers and our, our fixes on, and we're going to suffer the consequences of that. So we see a lot of that as well. Is there more and more of a clamor for automation in this, or um, is it just we need our people to be smarter about what they do? Yeah, that's another really good question, right? So we do push automation. Uh, we do tell our clients, look, automate as much as you can so that the systems can detect these failures and take an action, and that eliminates people getting involved. But in the same respect, just like a pilot of an airplane, we want to make sure that our pilots, our operators are trained, and our technical staff are trained should automation fail. What would we do? What would we take out of the Plex? What scripts do we need to run? You know, how do we recover the business? Just like a, a pilot goes into a simulator and he tests failing conditions, um, we, want to do our, we want our clients and our operators to do the same thing, or be trained to do the same thing. In the, in the field of like, um, uh, security and penetration testing, I, I hear a lot about red team, blue team type testing where you know, one team becomes the adversary you know, within the company and says, I'm going to try to break something. Obviously, you don't want somebody bringing down a sysplex and saying, hooray, I won. But is there any sort of opportunity for a proactive um, or, you know, uh, type of testing or uh, work that can be done to, you know, make it so you don't get woken up at night? We do advocate that as well, right? So we want we ask customers to uh, show us your test environments and, then, and do those test environments mimic production? Are they production-like such that you can do this testing? Right? You can pull a, a, a fiber cable, have, simulate a failure, have somebody practice a recovery procedure, make sure that automations does indeed work the way it's scripted to work. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. exactly, we advocate that as well. Again, we don't see a lot of that. We see a lot of test environments that really don't mimic production. So they really can't do the load testing and things that they really should be able to do to protect their production environments. How many of the outages that you guys kind of peruse are cascaded failures as opposed to oh that's you know that's Jimmy. a good band name I'm just writing all <laughs> these down over here uh, cascaded failures yeah. is the name of a band uh, how many of them are like that as opposed to oh Jeff just hit the switch when he wasn't supposed to well it's hard to tell right so we see many different types of of failures we see a lot of OEM product failures non IBM product failures incompatibility uh, with new levels so the customer does change right we see a lot of issues as a result of change so perhaps the customer puts a new level of ZOS up and then they find there's an OEM product that just doesn't play nice with the new levels or there were some fixes needed uh, to support that right so 
Uh, we see that type of failure. We do see, as I mentioned earlier, process failures where somebody makes a finger check or somebody goes in outside of change control and decides, you know, I, I'm going to do this. It's not going to affect anything, uh, and it does. Or we see the non-separation of production and test environments. So somebody's in a test environment and they do something in a test environment that affects production. Wow. We see that more often than we'd like. So we always usually have a recommendation that says separate production and tests. It's simple, right? It's basic, but these are the common things we see. So can you describe uh, one of the client, you know, obviously without names, but one of the client scenarios where that happened? Because I think a lot of people uh, are kind of trying to understand how can test, if it's in a separate LPAR, cause a failure to... To my production system. Yeah, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Um, I can't remember any particulars of recent, but uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, they, they're touching a database that that touches both. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, you know, and, and they'll have some situation like that. Um, you know, it, it's it's a lot of um, things you don't think would happen happen. And we also find clients saying, wow, I didn't know that would impact my business. So what we try to do is, uh, when we do our workshops, we do what we call high-level CFIA, component failure impact analysis. And that's going through the whole infrastructure. And a lot of times it includes distributed front end all the way to Z, DB2 back end, whatever database they're running. And we run a transaction flow through that front end to back end. And we say, what if this component fails? What happens? Does it impact my business? Does it have failover? Is it automated? Is it manual? So we do that high-level CFIA. Uh, I'll tell you a story, a, a very interesting story. We were working with a bank in Ireland, and we did a Z engagement, and they said, um, they called us back, and they said, we recently had a failure in our HP tandem point-of-sale uh, environment. Can you come and, and study that? So we said, sure, we can bring subject matter experts. We can use our methodology and study that. And what it turned out to be was that they had three authentication boxes. So in the summertime, uh, one of their support people took one of those authentication boxes down to do some change activity on it, never re-enabled it. So they're running with two. And the load, the capacity for two is fine. Come December, when everybody's shopping and trying to buy goods and use their ATM cards, the capacity, the performance was horrible, and they couldn't figure it out. Well, this had happened in July when they did the change, right? No change control, right? Right. So, you know, that's just a simple example of what can happen to you. And they couldn't find it. They had no monitoring of that component to say, hey, two are green, one is red. We need to re-enable this. So a simple thing, you know, such as taking a, a component out makes it very difficult. Uh, when, you, when you're called in to uh, assess a problem that happened, um, do you typically need the system to be like down and in its broken state, or uh, we'll, we'll say non-optimal, suboptimal <laughs> suboptimal state, state, to do to do your work, or has kind of first failure data capture kind of gotten better to the point where you can rely on logs and stuff like that? Yeah, another good question, right? So we want to make sure we come in after all that work is done. Right. Um, we want to make sure that client care and and the customer and everybody does. You know, we ask the customer, you know, did you do root cause analysis? Of course, they're talking about, well, IBM, you will need to tell us why this broke, right? And maybe it's not always IBM's fault. Maybe it's another component or something they did, right? So we um, ask them to do that root cause analysis. But all that work is done. 
And we want to make sure all that is done for a reason because we're going to get in a room and try to collaborate with a client, and sometimes they're angry, especially <laughs> right after we've had a failure. And, so you want to be able to close that door. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we want everybody to be calm. We want the client care office to explain to the client why this happened, if it was a deficiency in an IBM product, uh, whether it be microcode, hardware, whatever. Uh, and then we want to go in when everybody's calm and has a, a more level head so we can have a good discussion about what do we need to do to configure this environment for high availability to meet our business goals. In the world that we're in, the always-on world, a high availability is very important. How many times uh, in this kind of scenarios that you're talking about have you found additional stuff? So, oh, you came in to solve problem A, but, oh, yes, we... We see problem A, and we've figured out how to fix that. But in the meantime, we've raised issues on B, C, and D. Yeah, we, we do. We find that a lot. So we come in, we look at a particular environment, and where we really find those type of issues are uh, around service management. So we find people as single points of failure. I can remember doing an outage analysis at one client, and... I'm going through the timeline of the outage, and I said, wow, if you have three hours of recovery here where you're trying to run a script. I said, what happened there? Why so long? And they said, well, the guy who, ran, who wrote the script no longer worked here. So we never tested the script. <laughs> it worked at one time, and then we put so many changes in our environment. When we went to run the script again to do recovery, it didn't work. And he wasn't here. He was long gone, right? So those are some of the things we find. People are single points of failure. Um, lack of process maturity, things like that, testing of our environments, testing of the recovery procedures, big one we find all the time. So we're in looking at this environment from a technology perspective, but we say, you know, if you needed to recover these components, have you tested that? Again, going back to the flight simulator scenario. Have you, you know, you, you said something that really kind of jumps out at me. Have, have you talked to customers about coming up with uh, management processes for the scripts. Uh, you know, I, I think when, when we develop code in a modern environment, we have a repository for not only the code, but a lot of the kind of documentation around the code. So everything is kind of managed together. And that's great for applications. Is that kind of thing being done for the, the scripts that keep the business afloat? We do advocate that, right, as part of our service management. So, again, we focus day one as technology. Sometimes that bleeds into day two of a two-day workshop, right? We try to keep this workshop to two days because uh, we're tying up a bunch of, you know, client support folks for two full days. But that is very valuable, right? Everybody in a room together, again, they've got IBM experts there with them. They've got all their people there with them that they normally don't get a chance to talk to this type of topic about, right? right. Uh, so day one's usually technology. Sometimes it bleeds into day two, but we focus on day two and half a day two on service management, those type of things. Do you have these scripted, tested, documented recovery procedures for recovering any component or any part of your business, including applications, you know, whatever it may be, uh, have you documented that and tested it? And a lot of times we don't, or a lot of times we'll find, uh, as in the example I gave with the script and the person leaving the company, that they had it and nobody's done anything with it or tested it until you need it, right? right? So, 
Do uh do you ever have um findings from your um the work you do end up in like a health check? Yeah, good question again. We uh actually advocate follow-on health checks. So being part of lab services, we have our lab services teams go in and do health checks after. So, you know, we'll do a high-level architectural view of the environment, and then we'll say, look, we really think you need a deeper dive into DB2 or kicks or MQ or whatever, and do a health check, right? So we're looking at settings and and configurations and turning knobs and dials, right? That's important as well. Uh, sometimes the client wants that done up front, and sometimes when you say health check, they think that's what a, a high availability assessment is. Oh, so that, we that's why to, I brought you here. Yeah, 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 exactly. So we have to kind of make sure they understand what's the difference between a high availability assessment and a health check, right? Health check, a little deeper dive, turning knobs and dials. Right. You're more looking at the process and and the things that cause the failure. How do I... Or, or more than that, it's things that cause the outage, not the failure, right? Right. And, and mm-hmm. of course, looking to make sure they're architected for high availability. What does this architect look? I call it the beast. Let's put the beast up on the board. Uh, and that's another thing. Sometimes they have diagrams of the beast, and sometimes <laughs> we'll build the diagram, and they're like, don't erase that. I need a picture <laughs> of it. Because we don't have that, right? Or we have an old picture of, of this environment. So, uh, you know, that's really what we're looking at. And and how often um, do you change that picture of the beast along along the way? I mean, it, w- it would seem to me that every time I've seen uh, a, a client who's showed me, hey, this is our infrastructure, there's always somebody in the room who goes, well, that's not exactly it. It was that way six months ago, but now it's not. Yeah, it changes often, Frank. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we put it up, and, and you're right. And another reason for the collaborative workshop. There are folks in the room will say no. Uh, I'll give you another example of that, too. I think the collaborative piece of the workshop is an important piece to focus on as well. Um, I was with a client, and they said, well, we're going to do some breakout sessions for some of the service management stuff. So we went to another room, and and we went with the change team. So there was a change leader there. And as a matter of fact, the manager was there and everything, you know, making sure that they don't say the wrong things. (laughs) So we're in, you know, do you have documented processes? You know, do you have metrics around successful change control and all that? They're like, yeah, yeah, our change is great and everything. So then we wrap up and say, okay, sounds like you've got a pretty good change process here. We go back into the big room where everybody is, and one of the senior uh, managers of the operator says, Hey, did you guys talk about change? We're like, yeah, we did. And they said everything was good. And he says, good? It's not good. It's horrible. They're doing, you know, they do changes, and they don't notify my ops team, and we don't know about them. And all of a sudden, we see CPU running away, and we don't know something had happened. And so the truth comes out, right? Just what you pointed out, right? We're in a room. We put the beast up. We put the architecture up. And somebody says, no, it doesn't look like that, right? It looks like this. So, yeah, we see that quite often. Yeah, I remember doing a workshop, um, and I, I too, am big on the collaborative. And we couldn't do that for this uh, this particular client. And we ended up having to interview three different groups on the same day. And each one said the same thing. Yes, we have standards. If those other two groups would just follow our standards. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We've kind of been focusing on systems going down and maybe some, some data loss, but um, I think problems can kind of surface in, in other ways. And you kind of mentioned uh, in what you were just talking about, like runaway CPU and, and to that extent cost. Is that something you're ever kind of called in on is just like, yeah, everything's still working, but like uh, 
things just aren't behaving exactly right, or is it usually a catastrophic type of thing? No, we we get called in for performance issues as well, right? So okay. we we all know that performance, you know, is a characteristic of high availability, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, certainly performance issues. Um, I'll tell you another quick story. I was working with a. I like these stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, I have a lot oh, of no, them. Right? That's good. Yeah, it's- um, I was working with a wireless carrier. This wasn't. This was mid-range platform, and um, they said uh, they were running into performance issues. And I said, "Well, w- what was happening at the time?" They said, "Well, the business was offering new functionality for folks' cell phones. I don't know if it was apps or perhaps it was. Oh, now you can get ESPN on as an app and, and check your scores and all that." Well, they didn't tell IT. <laughs> they rolled this out, and IT's like, whoa, CPU, going through, what's going on? And they were running to uninstalled machines and putting CPU cards in to, wow. to throttle this thing back, right? So, again, disconnect between IT and the business. So another key thing we find out is there are those disconnects, and IT and the business need to be connected, especially as I described earlier in this always-on world. Right. It's very important, right? IT is the business, so... Yeah, and that's wow. probably something that is not a pervasive thought in most of the uh, companies that you go see. They've right? got some big computers over there. They can run this, they right? They can. Yeah, yeah it's no know, big yeah. deal. Yeah. Turn it on. <laughs> let it go. Yeah. Well, because especially now, because it's, it's in the cloud. It's in the cloud. It's, everything yeah. works. You fine. can't see we're all waving our hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the cloud. You, you meant you, so you, you do. You mentioned mid-range system. Did you mean mid-range Z or I power? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Power AIX, we do Power I, um, you know, and and we do all non-IBM products as well. We've been asked by customers, as I mentioned, HP Tandem, uh, but we've been asked to look at x86. You know, a lot of front end is running non-IBM product, uh, so we try to find that expertise, bring those folks with us, and talk about the high availability functionality of all those products, whether it be x86, Power Z, whatever, you know. So you must have some insight into the fact that it seems like a lot of the outage, maybe not the problems, but the outage is based on people more than systems. Would you say that that's like an 80-20 kind of thing, or is it 50-50, or is it just the stories you're telling us are more the fact that people have made... What in hindsight is obvious, but mm-hmm. wouldn't be, you know, uh, from the people when it's happening. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's eighty twenty, right? So for the twenty percent that are non-people or process and it's technology, there were opportunities to um, minimize or eliminate those outages. And it could be an example of an advent, a ZOS advent for which a PTF was available, and for whatever reason they didn't put it on. So. We see some of that as well. And then we see, of course, through change control, people making errors, uh, not testing their changes in a test environment that is, again, mimics production. Uh, so they understand what it's going to really do in production when they roll it out. So, we do, so that's the 20% or the uh, the 80% and the 20% is the, like I said, component fares, things like that. So we see a lot more process errors than we do um, actual hardware or sure. software failures. Sure. Uh, one of our old episodes. Uh, classic Terminal Talk. You know, one of our classic Terminal <laughs> Talk episodes, let's go with that. One of the, our speakers talked about the fact that uh, when he started 
he he basically was an apprentice for uh, in the data center, and they don't do that kind of thing anymore. How much of that do you see um, as as a problem? The loss of, for lack of a better term, the data center lore uh, of of a company. Frank, we see a lot of that. Uh, we see a lot of resource constraints that the client has uh, with the skills that are needed. And even if you remember in IBM years ago, the uh, computer operators would become the system programmers, right? So they would start as computer operators, and there was a roadmap to become a system programmer. And they'd gain all that uh, knowledge uh, operating the system and then move on to, and we don't see that much anymore. Uh, we see a lot of um, folks retiring. Um, we see a lot of uh, reduction in staff and, and people as single points of failure. So, And clients ask us about that. They say, what is IBM doing to you know, help us find the people with the skills or help develop those skills in the younger folks uh, that are coming up? I'm, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Uh, there's an article on the register. It came out earlier this week. It was shared to us with the Sysprog Whoopsie hashtag uh, from... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to butcher this last name. I'm sorry. Esra uh, Ufakik? I don't know. Um, but she, she shared the, this article. It says, uh, Sysadmin sank IBM mainframe by going one VM too deep. <laughs> um, the subheadline is, tried to blame it on a bug, but logs don't lie. And it, it basically goes through somebody playing with um, VM and CMS saying, oh, I wonder if I can create a VM within this VM and setting a control character for the thing. Oh, I wonder if I can make one within that. And said, oh, look, I made five VMs. I'm just going to shut them down now and type CP shutdown and took all their 72 developers with them. Oh. There you go. Yep. A CP shutdown at the wrong level. Yes. Exactly, with yeah. no c control character in front of it. Well, there you go. Yeah. A great example of what can happen mm -hmm. innocently, right? <laughs> but you need one of those under your belt so that you never do it again. It, it is true that um, you learn by... Bad experiences, right? And bad experiences uh, can affect their business. <laughs> yeah. And, and speaking of, of uh, logs, we had one client where they wanted the root cause, but their culture was a culture of blame. Yeah. And their folks made sure that there were no logs available to determine who did what. <laughs> and we finally had to tell their execs. We did an executive presentation like we always do after we're done you know, doing a high availability assessment that we are unable to determine the root cause because the logs don't exist. Somebody had made sure they cleaned them up, right, unfortunately. And we were quite honest with them because we said there's a culture here of blaming people, and you really have to move away from that, right? You have to understand what happened, why it happened, without placing blame, and then what do you do to protect it from happening again? Uh, I can remember one of the people in the workshop, I was up talking about root cause analysis, problem management, and this individual said uh, at the break, I want to show you something. And he showed me a letter. It was um, written in Spanish, um, and, and he said, I'll translate for you. Basically, they said, if you uh, ever do anything like this again, uh, you will be terminated from the company. And what he had done was uh, he was walking across the raised floor. There was a box with a red light, and somebody said, hey, you need to go fix that. And he said, I don't fix that. That's, I don't work on those products. He said, you need to fix it. Well, he tried to fix it and, and took the system down, um, and then he was blamed for it. And his response to me was, if I ever saw a red light again, I would run away from it. 
So it's interesting, yeah. right? right? The culture that they were developing there, a culture of blame, and you don't really want to do that when you're trying to get to real root cause and put preventive actions in place to try to prevent these things. You want to educate people. You want to put procedures in place so that these things don't happen. And that that's really important in an environment where uh, an outage costs a lot of money, right? Because nobody wants to be blamed for the fact that we lost a million dollars because we were down for 15 minutes, yeah. right? Sure. It, it's it's kind of counterintuitive, right, to, to start creating that kind of culture. Do you guys give um, recommendations on how to do that, or is it just, here's a, a problem that, that you own, Mr. Executive, you need to fix it? Yeah, no, and, and we do talk about that, right? We talk about the importance of really getting to the root cause, and the root cause really should be some kind of process change when you think about it, right? So if I have a ZOS ABEND example for a which a PTF was available to fix it and I don't put it on, somebody would say, oh, that goes in the ZOS bucket. It was a ZOS failure. No, it's a process failure because if you had the PTF, what's your process for putting fixes on? Maybe you need to look at that. Maybe you don't put them on uh, frequently enough. Maybe you need to increase the frequency of looking at them and installing them, right? And that requires change windows and a lot of other issues. But it's really a process failure. So let's not blame the person who didn't put it on. Let's look at the process that says, you know, we're, we have too much time between when we're putting our maintenance on to get all the fixes on to protect our systems. I know uh, my, my mechanic has a, a sign in their office that says something to the effect of uh, our, our rate for fixing a car is this. Um, if you're going to tell us what to do or if you want to watch, it's this much. And if you already tried to fix it, it's this much, which is like you know, <laughs> five times as much. Yes. Do people trying to fix problems often compound problems? Uh, I, I think so, right? And you know what we see too, right, is, is the hero, what I call the hero syndrome. Yep. Right? So... You know, I know they're going to call me, and, and there were five of us, as I described earlier. Now there's only me, and I'll come, and I'll save the system, right, and I'll fix it, and I know what to do. So it's more of uh, I get complacent or I I become reactive. I go into react mode, and that's how I operate. And we see a lot of clients doing that. They're stuck in react mode, and they don't get out of react mode. They're in proactive. Uh, they're not proactive, and people say, hey, I'll just come and save the day. And then I feel proud because I've been able to do that. And you should, right, because you're a technical, savvy person. You understand the systems in the environment. Um, but, you know, we want to prevent those things from happening proactively, right, and not be in react mode. Yeah. In, in a lot of those cases, uh, do people uh, unintentionally um, destroy things like logs in an effort to, oh, my God, I've got to save the world right now. And, and the whatever it is, be damned, I just want to get stuff up and running. Is there a lot of that? Um, you know, that, that I did describe that one issue where the logs had disappeared, but we don't see that very often. We see people wanting to understand what happened and, and getting the data that's needed and getting the data pulls that are needed to, to understand what happened and how to prevent it from happening again. Irregardless of the fact that, you know, they know they can be the hero and save the system, um, you know, they still want to get that data. And, and But I guess the important point is is that um, if you don't need a standalone dump, for example, or if you don't need to dump that data because you, understand, you know what's going on or you made a mistake, 
mm-hmm. right? If I've had, when I was an availability manager, I had system programmers come to me and say, don't stand alone dump, just IPL. That was me. <laughs> I was doing something, and I made a mistake, hey. right? And that's the way you want it. Yeah. Okay, I'll deal with you later. <laughs> what are you doing on the system right during the day? Right. But uh, we'll deal with that. But later. thanks for telling me why do we want to waste time on a standalone dump, which is, you know, another X 20 minutes or whatever it takes these days. I don't know, but uh, so important. And that and that's a culture you develop, right? A culture of we're not blaming any. We're all here together. Let's fix it. Let's understand what happened. Let's understand what you were doing at the time when the system went down and, and how we can prevent that from happening again. You've had a bunch of different jobs, right? When, mm-hmm. when we first met, uh, we won't say how many years ago, um, <laughs> you were really more of a, a hardware person. How did you go from being a hardware guy up to, to doing um, to doing this kind of work process? And, so I was, it, it seems like, and uh, if people could see me, they'd see I have a lack of hair on my head. I've been doing uh, crit-sit management pretty much my whole career. The only time I haven't is pretty much when I've been at the HACOC. So, uh, you know, being an engineer and, and graduating from engineering school, I came and I wanted to fix things, right? That was something I knew I was good at uh, even before uh, working in labs at college, et cetera. So I came here as a field engineer. And I went out and fixed, you know, the large, large systems, 3033s, you know, these things. Talk about beasts. Mm-hmm. I mean, these things were beasts, right? Uh, and back then you had an oscilloscope attached to you, and, you know, you were deep in the machine, you know, tri-leads, et cetera. So I've always been a techie type of guy. Um, I went from that to doing uh, uh, software support. And then I went and trained to be a ZOS system programmer. So I did both hardware and software. So I would go to places, uh, clients, and and fix whatever problems they had, whether they were hardware or software. And then from there, I became an availability manager. So I managed availability for key IBM systems, manufacturing, engineering systems. So when those systems went down, I was standing in front of some IBM exec saying, why were no machines coming off the floor, and how is it (laughs) never going to happen again, and how many millions of dollars are we in the hole because we didn't, you know, manufacture any machines because the manufacturing system was down. So that, you know, I gravitated to that. And then doing that availability manager job is where I learned all my process, ITIL process um, disciplines and read them and trained on them, but then did them. So a lot of people become idle trained and they understand the importance of incident, problem, change, release management, and managing those environments. But when you actually go and do it, so when you run recovery and you do incident management and then you do problem management where you're identifying the real root cause, all the secondary contributing pro- uh, problems that elongated the outage and eliminating those, you start to really live through it. Uh, and that's what I would take to the consulting part of it when I joined the High Availability Center of Competency. Uh, and then I left and went to client care, to see client care. So I was back in crit-sit mode, <laughs> and then I came back as the manager. So that's kind of my progression of dealing with problems and client problems and availability issues and for a long time. Well, I think we're, we're probably at the bottom of the hour here. And um, uh, I want first want you to know that you are, I believe, the first manager we've had on the show. We don't usually have managers because we have all those bad words for them. <laughs> I think you're right. So, yeah. So you should feel honored. I I do feel honored. <laughs> I feel honored anyway, even if I wasn't a manager to sit down with you guys and and have a good talk about availability and and what we see out there in the real world with our clients. Now, I'll say this: 
uh, po- folks who are interested uh, who want to, you know, in IBM who want to come out with us and, and come on an engagement and be a subject matter expert. It's a good learning experience for people, especially young people. We brought some of the young guys from uh, TEST to come work with us, and uh, they get it's a big eye-opener for them of what the clients are really doing and, and the issues that they're having out there. So. Ooh, a ride-along. Wow, there sounds, you go. Sounds like fun. <laughs> exactly. They probably won't let us go though, because yeah, too much sarcasm. We'll put that uh, information in the uh, in the show notes, or yeah, that that sounds like fun. Yeah. I might do that. Awesome. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Don. Appreciate you coming. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Old man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.